0: So tonight we're going to be in Psalm 84, but before we do that, I I want to look at one verse beforehand that's going to kind of be key, give us some definitions about some stuff that has to do with this, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, uh, from that great chapter on love, Uh, and what it says is, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. The big three, faith, hope, and love. And so I kind of wanted to get a little definition going here. And I, I I got I'll just tell you right now. Uh I'm a businessman. And uh I'm a little bit of a, a simple guy too. You know, I, I live by the KISS principle. You know, keep it simple. Stephen. <laughs> Thought I was gonna say something else. But uh and for me i got to get to the bottom line fast, or, or I'll be lost. You know, I say that often. And, and so I look, when I, when I see these big concepts, I, I look for ways to look at them in a simple way that really encompasses everything. And so I've, I've, I've brought together these definitions. The first word, faith, quite simply, is believing the Word of God. God said it. I believe it. I'm going to act on it. I'm going to live my life based around it. I believe God's Word. And the Word of God, you guys, is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel. You know the gospel. There is a God. He does exist, and he's incredible. He is uh, loving, and he is holy, and he's perfect. And you know what? He's good. There's not one bad thing about him. But there's a problem. We're not most obvious thing in the world to me Um, this world isn't God's fault we did it and we're a bunch of sinners in rebellion against God and well the wages of sin is death and going to hell and being separated from God forever that's a terrible thing and the incredible thing about God is he still loves us anyway and he has made a way through Jesus Christ, dying on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for us in our place and rising from the dead to prove it. And if we repent, turn away from our sin, just, and we turn not only away from our sin, but we turn to belief in Jesus Christ, to true faith where we, hey, it's something we're going to act upon, man, God makes us a couple of promises. Number one, You'll be forgiven. Everything you've ever done, every sin you've ever committed, past, present, future, forgiven. And you'll, be, you, you'll receive this stamp, this glorious spiritual stamp. It says, justified. That I become just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that cool? And we're forgiven. And we, the gospel, not only that, it gets better. God makes us a second promise. If you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, God will come and do this. He'll forgive you and He'll come do this incredible miracle in your heart of being born again, where my spirit dies and Jesus comes to live within me. Uh, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and it's just an incredible thing where you're changed. Man, God, the Spirit of God comes to live within you You're born again, and you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And not only that, you become a member of God's family. And and you will spend eternity with Him in heaven. Man, that's the gospel. That's what we're all about. I don't care where you're coming from. If you believe that, and you've been forgiven and born again, you're my brother, you're my sister. And we just need to focus on that in the church. And we find this gospel filtered throughout the entire Bible beginning at Genesis 3. Man's sin fell in Genesis 3, and the whole rest of the Bible is about the gospel as God redeems us back. He redeems us back out of sin into right relationship with Him. And we live our lives based on our belief in the gospel. The result of that belief? Hope. Hope is desire plus expectation. is what I want. But it's also what I expect. My faith gives me that expectation and I have hope. And the bottom line definition again of hope, the ultimate conclusion of hope, and what I like to define hope with, hope is the idea that heaven is my home. It's our home. Uh, through the gospel we see hope in that we know we will be saved, we'll be sanctified, matured, grown up, used by God, will be protected and will be provided for in this life. And not only that, which is incredible, through the gospel we know that the ultimate end is that we'll spend eternity in heaven with God a part of his family. When you're born again into God's family, he becomes your father and heaven becomes your home. Now love is defined by the word agape. That's how we define it as Christians. God's unconditional care, and affection for us. And you guys know that great definition Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek his own. Love is not provoked. Love doesn't keep track of all the things that people have done against it. Love this is Steve Version, does not get off on iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. That's love. Now, 1 John 4 tells us that God is agape. (laughs) That's wild. And you want want to see what he means. Insert God's name in there where it says love in that definition in 1 Corinthians 13. Therefore, love is divined defined by the very person of God himself and you know as we sung in that last song our living hope that's what Jesus that's what God that's what the Holy Spirit is and we see in Romans 5 5 it tells us that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's just you know that's our hope I mean that's love that God's love will fill us and we'll become like him now, we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13 in our study, but we want to focus, like I said, on Psalm 84, and we're going to focus on hope tonight. Heaven is our home. You know, and I know a lot of Christians struggle with this idea of hope. And, and actually, the idea that heaven is our home, and it doesn't really often impact people's lives probably like it's supposed to. And our passage tonight will help with that. So Psalm 84. And, and the book of Psalms has been, is known as the song book. Of Israel, 150 of them, poems expressing all kinds of emotions from the highest highs to the lowest lows. And as we get into the Psalms, a lot of, you see, God wants us to express our emotions to Him. He wants us to have this relationship with Him. And a lot of times, the Psalms will help us to kind of get into that, to kind of be freed ourselves, to get into the emotions, to see how others express their love. And and it, and it's really a blessing to get into the, to study and meditate on the Psalms and identify with the different truths and emotions expressed in them. And they hopefully help us open up to God as well. Um, so we look here, there are some pre-Psalm instructions that come before a lot of the Psalms. There's kind of... Um, you know, discussion and disagreement. You know, and 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 on whether these are actually inspired or not. I'll let Tyler handle that one, uh, but I will say this: they are very old. They are in a lot of. Uh, they're in the Hebrew canon, and they're fairly reliable. But if you see there, it says to the choir master, according to the Gitth, a psalm of the son of Korah. You know, that's not really. That wouldn't really fit here. We. Here at Calvary Chapel, we'd kind of cross through that word "gitth," which is a stringed, like harp-like instrument from an area named gath. We'd mark through it. We'd put on there, according to the acoustic guitar. Because the Psalms were sung a lot of times. Um, who were these sons of Korah? They're some authors of Psalms. They wrote about 11. Dave, David wrote most of them, but they wrote about 10 or 11 of them and they are descendants of a man named Korah, and if you're familiar with the book of, Gen- uh, uh, you know, the Old Testament and the stories in the Old you'll remember him. He was a Levite who worked in the tabernacle, and he led a rebellion against Moses, him and Ab- Dathan and Abiram, and they, they got 250 guys, and they said, man, you, you know, we're rebelling against you because, you know, you, we don't want you to rule over us like you are, and so Uh, God didn't like that too much, and he opened up the ground and swallowed up Korah. I shouldn't laugh about it. It's a terrible thing. Swallowed up Korah and all of his family and all his stuff. But in Numbers chapter 26, 11, this is cool. It says, the sons of Korah did not die. What? How? You know, were they there? Were they just not there? We don't know. But God in his incredible foreknowledge and wisdom knew. These were going to be some guys who loved me, and they were going to, like, have a heart for me and write these incredible psalms. This is one of my favorite psalms in, in all of them. And, uh, you know, he somehow preserved them alive. We don't know how, but he did. This is another example of the incredibleness of God in his sovereignty, wisdom, mercy, and grace. So, verse 1 of Psalm Chapter 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The psalmist here expresses his passion and desire to be in the presence of the Lord, to be where the Lord dwells. And the word lovely there, man, it, its root is boil. It, it, passion. I mean, he's like, wow, God, you are aw-. I mean, it, it's, it's passion is what is implied. To this. Man, he's passionate. And what's he passionate for? He's passionate. He, he desires, you know, that we, that he gets to hang out with God. And, you know, that's, that's what God desires. That's how he desires us to be. He wants us to be passionate, to hang around with him, to be in his presence. We sang it, man, your presence, Lord. That's what we want to be in. You know, But Revelation 3, Jesus tells us what, what the desire of God is. He said, look, he was talking to the Laodiceans who were lukewarm, and he said, I wish you were hot or you were cold. But since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You know, and he, he's saying, look, being lukewarm and ath- apathetic towards Jesus makes him sick sick, and apparently causes him to hurl. Just imagine. Can you picture God projectile vomiting lukewarm believers? Like, apparently not. Bleh. Now, you know, the people who are cold, at least they know for sure. Cold people know, I need God. But being hot and on fire and passionate for God, this is what he desires. Why? Well, Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, gives us some insight. There the psalmist says, and it's David that time, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever known. That word, make known, it means to know or to ascertain by seeing and observation. In hanging out with God, going with Him, being led by His Spirit, we see demonstrated the exact way we should go in life, which is very important, utterly important, because here's the deal. Ultimately, all of the paths lead to death. No matter what anybody says, Jesus is the only way. And when we're walking with God in His presence, there isn't just joy. You're full of it. You're filled with joy. And not only that, hanging out by a side, you experience pleasure, not pain, forever nor. Wow. It's easy to see why he's fired up. Why, you know, he, he just, and David knew the presence of God was the place to be. You know, he, uh, when he became king, Israel had lost the Ark of the Covenant, which was the place in Israel where, the presence of God dwelled at that point, and he said, "Look, we got to get." Actually, the Philist some foolish priests had taken into battle like a good luck charm. Lost to the Philistines, the Philistines took it, but they quickly found out it was nothing to mess with. Sent it back. It ended up in a town called Uh, and that's where it was when David said, "Hey, we got to go get. We got to bring the. We we need the presence of God. We we need. You know that's that's where it's at." And so they went down. He set up a big parade with thirty thousand guys. And they put the ark on a cart, and as they rolled along, David made a big mistake putting him on that cart because the oxen stumbled, the ark started to fall off, the driver Uzzah reached out his hands to touch the ark where the glory of the Lord dwells, and God struck him dead. And David, man, he was like, what? God killed Uzzah. He was mad, it says, he, you know, and he called the place outburst against Uzzah, but then all of a sudden, he began to think, God just killed Uzzah. You know, we need to, and so they took the ark up to a house of this guy named Obed-Edom. And they put the ark in his house. Now, we don't know why they chose Obed-Edom. We don't know who, you know, anything about this other than, we need. you know, let's put it up there. And if if I was Obed and I was watching the parade and see Uzzah get struck dead, I'm like, y'all going to put that in my house? That thing just killed Uzzah. You know, well, the king said, okay, put it in the corner. And you know Uzzah. He tippy-toed around it. You know, he wasn't doing anything special. But the Bible says there, in, in uh, verse 11 of 2 Samuel, where this is recounted, he said, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Obed-Edom's household was blessed just because God's presence was there. No other reason. No other reason. You know, and so, as born-again Christians, we're already in God's presence spiritually through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. We know that. First Corinthians 3, verse 16 tells us, Do you not know you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? We're already in His presence spiritually. I mean, Ephesians 2, 6 says we've been made. made to, we're already seated with God in heavenly places in Christ Jesus spiritually. And and again, this is spiritually true, but someday it's going to be physically true. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. This is our hope. Verse 2, back to Psalm chapter 84. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My flesh and my heart sing for joy to the living God. The word longs in the Hebrew is to pine after fainting is when you pass out often due to emotional intensity. And when he says my heart and my flesh he's speaking about his entire being from the both the inside and out. The New King James translates sing for joy as cry out for. You know and so you can feel the intensity and emotion in this verse. This guy is yearning intensely for the presence of God. He's pining for the presence of God with his entire being to the point of almost passing out, and he's crying out. It's like when we took family trips when I was a kid. Me and my sister would ride in the back, my parents in the front, and we'd head down to, the, down to the Florida coast. And we'd head down there, and I mean, we were pining. Me and my sister were in that backseat, pining with our entire beings. And it was about a 10-hour trip, and we were feeling like we were going to pass out if we didn't get there soon. And we were crying to our parents. My sister and I were so excited. We felt like we were gonna go crazy if we just had to wait any longer to get there. And we'd keep asking them, are we there yet? You guys know what I'm talking about? Are we there yet? My parents would say, would make us roll down the window and stick our heads out the window. And they'd say, smell, we're getting close. Smell and see if you smell the salt water. And we, oh yeah, we'd smell it, man. We were just like fired up. You know, and I know it's funny. But in all seriousness, the question I ask is, are we yearning like this for God? You know, are we we just like Paul demonstrated this yearning in Philippians chapter 3 when he used words like count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ that I may know Him and press on. You know, and and in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, We groan, longing to be in our heavenly dwelling and be with God. Again, are we yearning like that for heaven? If not, why not? You know, uh, well, Jesus gave us some insight. Matthew chapter six, he says, "Store not up for yourself tre- uh, treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where th- thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is." there your heart will be also. Too much treasure on earth. You know, we put too much into earth as Christians. Therefore, because of all that, we can't help but be focused on earth and not yearning for God in heaven. If your treasure isn't in heaven, you will have no heart for heaven either. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19 um, Paul said, "If in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied. If we don't have any treasure in heaven, if we you know, if it's just all about having a good life here, we're to be pitied. We'll be miserable. You know and, and, and again, if we have our treasure here, you know we'll be miserable. Also, let me tell you something. When you come to Jesus Christ, And you're born again, and you begin to just confess him before men. Admit it. People are not going to like it. Because you're saying basically, and and Jesus said it, look, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. And here's the deal. I'm the only way to God. We go around telling people that, guess what? They ain't going to like it. And you will have tribulation. Jesus said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But that hope is in heaven. And so we'll be miserable if we're just focused on what we're getting out of Jesus in this life. And and, and our treasure can never really be here. Because why? Because this isn't it. Heaven is it. Where God is. No sin. We're in his presence. Forever. You know, that's where it's at. And, you know, you think about the great people of faith like Abraham. Man, he, he... um, dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, fellow heirs of the promise. And he dwelt in the promised land as in a foreign land. Uh, and and he, they, conf- they said, we're strangers and pilgrims here. And he didn't build a permanent place. You know, his, uh, Abraham's life was marked by two things. It was marked by tents. Everywhere he went, you see him erect in a tent and altars. He always built altars. A tent, and that was basically signifying what his relationship to this world was. What? Temporary. It's a temporary thing. I'm not going to get in too deep. I'm going to do what I need to do. And altars. That's where my worship towards God. And that's how he lived his life. And he died in faith, not receiving the promises here on earth, but embracing them. And, and they saw him afar off. And they said, hey, we're strangers and pilgrims here. We're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Moses was the same way. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the slaves, the children, the children of Israel who were out there being in forced labor. He chose to suffer that, than to enjoy the passing pleasure. Regarding the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why, Moses? Why would you do that? You could have been the second richest. You could have been the second most uh, famous, the second... Most powerful, you could add anything on earth. Why would you do that? He looked to the reward. He regarded the reproach of Christ. Why? Because heaven is so much. When you when you get that view of heaven, when when you get yourself focused on heaven, the things of this world just don't matter as much. You know they're passing away. I, I like to think anything I can with my five senses experience. I can smell it. I can taste it. I can touch it. I can hear it. I can see it. Anything like that, think about this. It is not going to exist at some point. Think about anything the sky, my hand, whatever. It's not going to exist someday. Why would we pour? Why would we make that the priority of our life? You know? And so, uh, you know, the whole focus is we got to get our priorities right regarding heaven. And how do you do that? Hey, number one, heaven is, a, is hard to grasp, isn't it? Exactly what heaven is going to be like, the Bible, it, it doesn't give much info on it. We can't imagine what it's like. And so we kind of go, you know, we think, oh, it's, it sounds kind of boring actually, Steve. You know, sitting on clouds and playing harps, you know, that's not heaven. I don't know who came up with those ideas of heaven, but heaven's going to be. Hey, look at it. Jesus said, "I trust the promise of Jesus." Don't you? And he said, "Hey, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you guys. And if I'm if I'm going away, I'm going to come back and get you and bring you so you can be there with me." That's what. That's the whole thing you want to do. And he said, "And so, hey, look. It took God six days to make this earth. Six days." It's a pretty beautiful place, I think. I mean, there are areas where I'm just like, it takes your breath away. Like, But just, this took him six days. Just think what that place up there is going to be like. He's been working on it 2,000 years or more. Just think what heaven's going to be not Hey, it's like that great song by Bart Miller. I can only imagine what it will be like. But let me tell you something, guys. By faith we know that the first instant in eternity will make it. Everything go away, everything. And so, the way we get a grasp on it is just to worship the Lord, focus on Him, get into His Word, pour into, pay into it, through our efforts, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, doing things just to build the kingdom. You know, give your time, give your money, listen to God; He'll tell you what to do. Praise the Lord. Another thing that helps me begin to long for heaven, I'll just be really came home to, to roost with me on Sunday is old age. People, I mean, I turned 60 Sunday, you know, and and, and we're talking, man, Charlie Daniels died last week. <laughs> he's a brother. He wasn't for a while, but he became a Christian, and and he worships the Lord. He worship, Well, he's worshiping in heaven now. Uh, Karen's grandmother, 101 years old, she died. This, I mean, and, and just to sit there, and she was rapping with us just a, a short time, and now she's now she's dead, and I see her body. What was that like? What happened? You know, we're going to die, or we're going to get raptured. Hmm, maybe I better start thinking about this heaven thing, huh? I, I want to get a grasp on it. Worship the Lord. Build up treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But the question arises as we set our hearts and focus on heaven as our home, does this mean we quit on this life? Let me tell you right now, absolutely not. No way. But we now approach it with a different focus and a different motivation. Verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home where the, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God. And my king, The psalmist is envious of birds, being able to hang out continuously in the tabernacle of God. And it, it was a pe- he describes a peaceful place where even the small birds feel safe and secure enough to raise their young. Likewise, and you know this now, as you experience God's presence in your heart, that, the, that God's presence is a peaceful place where we can find rest. F.B. Meyer says, Foxes have holes, And birds have nests, but man can only find rest in God. That's the only place. He is our place of rest. And as we walk with the Lord and journey through this life, and as we remain in His presence in heaven, we will experience what Gail Irwin calls Brother Gail, that big, ah, you know, no sin. People ain't selfish. People aren't mad at each other. People love each other. You know? In heaven, it's going to be exactly the way we want it to be. You know, praise the Lord. We're going to be at peace there. Let's look at verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. The New King James, and I will quote the New King James, I'll admit it. I grew up, that's what I learned, New King James. You know, you guys, uh, uh, all the Lynchburg, I think Troy taught out of the New King James. Sandy taught all the New King James. You know, I was studying a lot, but I mean, so I learned a lot and I, in it. So I'll quote it some. We're in the ESV here, which is a great version of the Bible, too. But I may say the New King James a lot. Please forgive me. So, but you can't teach a what Never mind. <laughs> Apparently... What he's saying here, in the New King James, it translates ever singing your praise as they will still be praising you. Apparently, the attendants in God's house were worshiping the Lord when the psalmist left after his previous visit. And he knows that they will still be at it when it returns. Isn't that cool? That's a profound statement. You know, and Selah means stop and think about it. Pause. I mean, think about that. You'll still be praising the Lord. And we do need to stop. We need to meditate on the Lord and who He is and why He's worthy of continual praise. God is so incredible that even in eternity, with eternity before, it will be impossible to exhaust our praise for the God. It's all, forever we're going to be worshiping the Lord. And, and, and the question is, and the way to get a heart for Him is to ask yourself, why? Why are we going to be worshiping God? For, it's because He's so incredible. Well, how so? Dig in. The Lord, that's what the Lord wants you. He wants you to be passionate to know Him. He said, hey, if you're going to brag about one thing, I want you to brag about this, that you know me. Get to know the Lord through His Word, through hanging out with your brothers and sisters in Christ and talking about Him, through meditating on His Word, through prayer, through worship. That's what we need to do. Revelation 4:8 tells us that at the throne room of God there are four angelic creatures who day and night never cease to say, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There is no doubt that as we come into his present, we will desire and feel compelled to join in. Again, you can only imagine though what it's going to be like. Verse five. This is maybe the second section of the psalm. It, 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 it's kind of broken down into kind of stanzas of a psalm. But this is this is maybe where the second section starts. The first section, a lot of people are referred to as passion, the passion. It's passion for God's presence. The second section, people talk about as the journey to God's presence. And this is where we're really going to get practical tonight, about living the Christian life. It's one of my favorite. These three ver- next three verses are some of my favorite and Practical verses in the whole Bible. He says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The word blessed in the Hebrew means, Oh, how happy. I like being happy. (laughs) I don't like being sad. God made us that way. And you know, He's going to show us things we can do to be happy. You know, things that make us happy. You know, you got the Beatitudes, the blesseds in in Matthew chapter 5 that give us a lot of things that make us happy if we're born-again believers in Jesus Christ. You know, he's telling us a couple things right here that make us, oh, how happy. Number one, happiness. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Happiness is depending on God. He is our strength. That's what happiness, that's what we were created for. We were created to have a loving, dependent relationship with God. You know that? And people say, oh, we were created to glorify God. That's true. The way we do that, by loving Him, by depending on Him. Having that relate. That's what you were created for. But in the Garden of Eden, we saw it you know, in, the, in our study a few weeks ago, Adam and Eve bought into the lie that we can be like God. And they sinned, they fell into pride, and this idea that we can be self-sufficient. This idea that we don't need God. And you know what? They've been, we, all of us, have been unhappy ever since. People say, oh, I'm happy. You're going to die. Oh, doesn't death stink? It takes the joy, it takes the happiness out of everything. Every person's going to die. That's what happened when they sinned. But you know what? Depending on God, trusting in him, following his lead, looking to him for everything in every situation, being obedient to his word... And the continual leading of the Spirit, entering into that father-child relationship with Him. Guys, that's the path to happiness. Righteousness and happiness are joined together. You do what's right. You follow God. It's going to lead you to happiness. Does that mean you won't have problems? No. But when we get to heaven, ain't going to be no tears anymore. We'll be rejoicing. It'll be awesome. The world does not believe this. They believe the complete opposite. If it's to be, it's up to me. Or, what's that other one? Whatever the mind can conceive, the man can achieve. Mankind's pride, our pride, is so great that we actually believe there's no foe we can't defeat. (laughs) We see it in all these movies. We watch. I, I, you know, guy, I, I didn't see the movie, but I saw the trailer to a film where Arnold took on the devil, <laughs> and I, and supposedly he won. <laughs> Not gonna happen. <laughs> you know, we, if listen, we're like defenseless sheep, and if God doesn't have our back, we're goners. We're food. I mean, they, we're gonna get chowed on. But praise the Lord, we got a good shepherd, don't we? We got a good shepherd, man, and nobody'll touch us. God is for us, who can be against us? Praise the Lord. We were created to depend on God. But unless we become as a child trusting, dependent on God, we can't enter His kingdom. He is our strength. And I like, again, we alluded to the, the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 3 tells us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happier are those who realize they are bankrupt spiritually. That phrase there implies begging poor. You ain't got nothing. Because only then can we truly return to that loving, dependent relationship with God that we were created for. And here's the deal. What does it say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. God. That's what Jesus said. He said in, in, in Luke chapter 12. I get so excited about it. Jesus said, do not fear, little children, because it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He, man, he's just like excited about it. Fear not, it says in the ESV, little flock. That's Luke twelve thirty two. 32. God is our strength through the entire journey through this life, both in our Christian walk and our ministry efforts. And, and, and I, I, I personally say I believe this. A lot of us say we believe this. But isn't it true that practically a lot of times we really function like atheists? Like God doesn't exist and it's all up to us? Isn't that true? I I mean, we struggle. This is one of the reasons I believe we feel overwhelmed when we seek to share the gospel with people. You know, we need to depend on him for what amounts to basically an impossible task. And we prepare ourselves. We read the apologetics books. We do all these things. You know, and, and, and we get and 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 we we grow our intellect and, and our ability to think or remember what to say and our ability to communicate and bit people to understand, to interest them and draw them in, even to close the deal and get them to repent and believe. I mean we man, we want to do that. Don't we? it's in my heart. I want to do it, but so often I get of like, I forget, I'm trying to do it all by myself. But, you know, if I just pray and ask God, help me, God, give me opportunities, open the door, eh, I can, like, say stupid stuff and people we'll get saved. Serious. Why, why do we rely on ourselves? It's pride. It's part of our sin nature. You know, it's in our flesh. And, we, you know, we're overwhelmed in these, and we fail. We don't walk in happiness. Jesus told us in John chapter 15, this is one of my favorite verses regarding evangelism. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Listen to this, for apart from me, and you guys know this verse? You can do nothing, at least nothing that will last. We need to get into God and get filled with the Spirit and just depend on Him and rely on Him. And He'll work it all out. You know, how much do we do apart from Jesus? Nothing. There's nothing we can do. A friend and mentor of mine communicated this to me when I was first saved. Uh, you know, again, I'm a bottom line guy. And so this guy sat two rows in front of me at church. And he was a cool guy, and I got to know him. He played football college, and, it, you know, he, he was in the hunting industry and all this. And so, I said, hey, David, man, let's go to lunch. Man, I, wanna, I just want to chew your ear about you know, being this Christian that I've just become. He said, sure. And so we were riding home, uh, back to his office uh, from lunch, and I looked at him and I said, David, what's the key to success in the Christian life? I'll never forget, he said, in his Dothan accent, Steve, you got to abide in Christ. I said, what? He said, you've got to abide in Christ in christ and i said what is that he said steve you've got to live your life like jesus is walking with you every step of the way because you know what he is and he was right 33 years later i tell you what there's nothing truer Walk, with, walk in the awareness of his presence is the, is the key to success in the Christian life. Walk in relying on him. Talking to him. Paul said what? Pray without ceasing. How do you do that? You walk in the awareness of his presence. You're communicating without talking. I mean, me and Karen communicate all the time without talking, my wife. You know, you can do it. Just being there, you know. You know. That's how it is with God. And you know what? We must continuously walk in the awareness of the presence of the Lord and dependence on Him. And we will be happy. And God will do, accomplish great things through us. But happiness in the Christian's life, blessedness, not only comes from dependence on the Lord, it also comes from the practical application of our hope. As it says in the second part of verse 5, blessed are those in whose hearts are the highways of Zion. Zion was the hill that the tabernacle and later the temple sat on. It is at times in the scripture been used to refer to the city of Jerusalem. And figuratively, and this is what I really want us to key in on, heaven. Hey, Revelation calls heaven Zion a lot. And so, again, I'm sorry. I like the way the King Je- New King James translates this phrase. This is a cool phrase. Blessed are those whose heart is set on pilgrimage. The American Heritage Dictionary defines pilgrimage as a journey to a sacred place. When we were born again into God's family, We become pilgrims. Heaven becomes our home. And our journey through this life becomes a pilgrimage to our home in heaven. That's what it becomes. My question is, do we see it that way? Do you see yourself as a pilgrim? A stranger on this earth? To have your heart set on pilgrimage means to make the journey to heaven the passion of your heart and the focus of your life. If you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, I just encourage you, get your heart set on pilgrimage. Amen. Get the focus of your life and the passion of your heart set on heaven. Make it the longing of your soul, guys. You know, and and, and sadly, I mean, the Lord taught me this very early on. In my Christian life, I, I mean, I was blessed. I had these certain mentors, I guess you call them, who really spoke into my life early before I, before I even started going to Calvary Chapel and, and dealing with very specific things like hope, like abiding in Christ, like things like that. And so, you know, they, he spoke this in, into my life, and, and I knew it was so important. And, and as I've looked over the you know the, the time I've been a Christian, Most people don't even think about it at all. Brothers and sisters I'm referring to. And and it doesn't accomplish what it's supposed to. You know, and and the problem is so often we've embraced the world and the things of it and looking for our fulfillment from it, like jobs, relationships, hobbies, possessions, accomplishments, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, self-fulfillment. I'm not trying to get you down. I'm just telling you right now, that ain't going to make you happy. Not ultimately. Only having that passion for God. But the person whose heart is set on pilgrimage, man, they're happy. am telling you right now. It, you know, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, that the, the Lord called Abraham and he went out, not knowing where he's going. He just gets up, he's living in this incredible place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is like the coolest city, I think, I think a happening spot, you know, wherever. That's where he was living. Seriously. Okay, I'm showing my age with some of my lingo. <laughs> but it was like the Newport Beach, John Corson says. You know, he says hot tubs were invented there. I mean, it was like the place. And he gets his family up, and they just leave, and they don't even know where they're going. What are you doing? You're going to ruin your life. Here's what I want to say to you. You don't have to worry about that. And when he got to the, what happened when he got to the promised land? He didn't put down roots. Why not? Because he knew this. Like I said earlier, this ain't it. Heaven is it. You know, see this as a temporary place, guys. This is some deep stuff. You know, for us, but I mean, man, this is the place. This is how you get into the happiness. When you get this, then you don't worry. Oh, I make make the wrong decision about that relationship. Oh, I might pick the wrong job. Oh, I might, you know, go and live in the wrong place. You don't care anymore because you know that ain't going to be it. That relationship isn't going to be it. You understand? Heaven's it. And it's cool. So just pray and go with God's peace, and it'll be cool and you, know, you know it didn't turn out the way we thought it, but it doesn't matter because all you're doing is going to have an opportunity to try and get people saved. you hear what I'm saying I when I uh, was born again um, I, I was living in Atlanta there was this rock this is one of the original rockers of Christian Milan Lefevre was there, and he this guy was a witness and and I used to go uh, when I was in the world, I'd go to bars and listen to people, and there was this dude who would play named Jerome Olds, and Milan knew him, started witnessing him. Jerome got saved. And he started writing Christian songs. And he wrote a song back in the 80s called, Is It Right? And, and he describes this scene at the very beginning. He says, look out across the ocean. Tell me, what do you see? You know, is that gospel ship coming for you and me? Can you see the horizon? Is that the promised land? Where we go to stand forever? And it says, and he stops right there in the song, and, and everything just changes. all. It's as if he stops, and he looks back, and he goes, Is it right to go on up to heaven without taking a friend? No. I mean, that, that needs to be the passion of our heart, guys. Because all our needs are met. We're going to talk about that in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 6 says, as they go through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Baca means weeping. Or it can refer to the balsam trees that grow in dry and arid places. So the Valley of Baca it would seem as a place of dryness or weeping. We all pass through these places in life. I mean, some of us are there now. You know, experienced death in the family, sickness, loss of job, financial difficulty, being hurt by others, loss of a friend, tiredness, other struggles. Or, or even just feeling spiritual dryness or disconnected from God. You know, we can, and, 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 it, and it, man, it's not a great place to be. But here's what I want you to see about that verse. What does it say? It says, they're going through. See that? In New King James, passing through. They are not going to remain there. Same with us. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. They're not going to remain there. And so they do something very interesting. It says there, they make it a spring. They make Baca, the valley of dryness and weeping, a place of springs, the, new, the, the original King James, where I first started studying, the Word of God. says they, make, they dig a well. They make it a well. But here's the deal. They're just passing through. Why would they go to such effort? Why would they dig it? I mean, digging a well ain't no easy thing. Why would they do it? Here's why. For the others coming after them. Do you see it? For the people coming out. They're, they're making it that way. Because here's the cool thing. And hey, I'm I'm getting in some Gail Irwin now, you guys, who we love here at Calvary Chapel. Hopefully you'll meet the old man. We want to get him here. The focus of the pilgrim, as Gail Irwin loves to tell us, is others centered, just like Jesus. Our example. He is the only totally other-centered, not self-centered, other-centered person in the history of the world. Think about it. He left the glory of heaven and came to this sin-filled cesspool of a world. He left heaven and came down here. Why? For us wasn't for himself it was for us his focus and his motives were completely other centered he had no needs of his own that needed to be met he did what he did in coming to earth becoming flesh dwelling among us laying down his life was totally for us not for himself do you see that he was totally unselfish We go man that's tough here's the deal if he, if he was looking out for himself, he would have remained in heaven. But likewise, listen to this. Our needs are totally met. We're saved. We're sanctified. Or we're being sanctified. We're, we're being matured. God's feeding us. He's growing us up into the image of Jesus. He promised he would protect us, and he would provide for us, and then we're going home. What, what else do we need? I mean, he's promised it, and I've seen it over and over. All the same. he does it. I've been walking with the Lord 33 years. He, he keeps his promises. All our needs are met, every single one. It's going to say later in this, uh, I don't want to get too into it, but it's going to say later, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright. Like, I pray, and I, well, maybe it wasn't good. Just, we got to be content with what he gives us. I didn't get all the stuff I wanted. God, God's wise. You know, but all our needs are met. And, and the dry times we're going through, they're only temporary. And the Lord has set us up and freed us from having to focus on ourselves and our needs so we can focus on God and others. I'm going to say that one again. God meets all our needs. Why? Because he just wants to, no, because he wants to set us free from ourselves to be able to focus on him and others. That's why he does it. You know? We're free to do the good works that Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us he's been preparing us for, for all you know, from before the foundation of the world. Praise the Lord. And so, we're free to love. And that brings us back to 1 Corinthians 13, 13 that we looked at at the beginning. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And the practical application of this verse is, and here it is, we know our faith, Believing the word of God gives us our hope. Heaven is our home and sets us free, what? To love. To f- totally focus on others. Very practical. And that's the real reason love is the greatest. Why? It's totally unselfish. Just like God. Just like the Father. Just like Jesus. Just like he's making us. Last part of verse 6 reads, and the early rain covers it with pools. It's like the Lord looks down and says, look, their strength is in me and their focus is on others. I'm going to bless their efforts. And so he sends the rain and turns their little well into a lake. He loves to do that kind of stuff, man. The eyes of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless toward him. Our job is just to be faithful. and The Lord gives the increase. He'll do the work. Again, Gail Irwin here, get the ball to Jesus. That's the main thing we got to do. Get the ball to Jesus. You know, I played basketball, believe it or not. Played in high school, played in college, loved it. It was good enough, I had an opportunity to go overseas and everything. But uh, the summer after college, I played in this incredible league at Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta. Man, it was an incredible league. Pro players, college players, NBA Hall of Famers, I mean, a lot of great players, I played against Nick. I've been du- dunked on by Dominique, if any of y'all know who Dominique Wilkins is, and I played on a team with this guy named Reggie, Reggie was cool, he's a couple years older than me, he had grown up in Atlanta too, I knew who he was, when he graduated high school, he went to the University of Tennessee, started at the University of Tennessee with some great, great Hall of Fame players, went on the NBA Hall of Fame. And uh, then he went into the NBA, drafted in the first round by the San Antonio Spurs, actually played on an NBA championship team in 1983 with the Philly 76ers with Moses Malone and Dr. J. It was a lot of fun. I'm telling you. It was a blast. And, 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 you know, we had some other guys on our team, too, but none of them were near as good as Reggie. I mean, they weren't. And so the key to success in the game, you know, the reason I got to play, to be honest with you, because I was short, I was, I was kind of too short, but I, I knew what I needed to do. We had a bunch of hot shots on our team who thought they were good, you know, and they always dribbling, you know, and Reggie's standing over there like, you know, he's not getting, you know, because when Reggie got the ball, Reggie scored. He was so good. And I knew I had one job. When I went in the game, get the ball to Reggie. And I did my a coach would look at me we're angry at all the other guys, You would go, get in there and get the ball to Reggie. And I did. And he'd score. And we won. We won the championship. All because I got the ball to Reggie. Well, let me say something. Same thing with Jesus. Get the ball to Jesus, and he'll accomplish great things in your life. A lot of times, you know, we we start dribbling behind our back and trying to do it without him. We don't do anything. You know, get the ball to Jesus. How? Jesus told us, don't try to do it yourself. He told us in Mark chapter nine. He said, because they were trying to heal this guy, they couldn't. And he said, "Oh, foolish generation! How long am I going to have to deal with you? How long am I going to bring him to me? How do we get the ball to Jesus? How do we how do we get Jesus involved and do it? He's not here anymore. He, He ascended to heaven. He's gone. How do I mean? We can't take him over there and get. Here's how you do it through prayer." Just pray and get the ball to Jesus, and Jesus will do it. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus will get the job done. He'll do great things. If we just, and and I'm, I'm, I try to practice immediate prayer. I know some of you guys, you know, you come up and say, hey, Steve, I got this. Boom, we're going to pray. Well, we ain't even going to talk about it. <laughs> I can't figure it out. <laughs> Let's just pray about it, you know. And Jesus answers it. And then we go, hey, look at what we did, Jesus. No. Give Jesus the credit. Uh, it's like another basketball story. I love this story. Eddie House scored 61 points. He played for Arizona State. Scored 61 points one night against the University of California. Uh, and after the game, one of his teammates, reporters were talking to him. He said, man, this is a great night for me. Porter said, what are you talking about? He goes, man, I'm going to tell my grandkids about this night. He goes, what's so great about it? He said, because I'm going to tell my grandkids. January the eighth, two thousand, me and Eddie House scored sixty-four points against the <laughs> University of California. I think he was missing a point. Hey, or the mouse that rode over the bridge, the rickety old bridge, on the back of the elephant, and got to the other side. Hey, didn't we make that? The mouse said, Hey, didn't we really make that bridge shake, buddy? <laughs> nope. And we don't do the work, and we got to give. It. And Pastor Ch- even Pastor Chuck. I love Pat, who the founding pastor of all the Calvary chapels. You know, he, he said, you know, Calvary Chapel is not an ambition fulfilled. He said, I was done with that. I was so burned out and over the hill that I didn't think I could hand a con- handle a congregation of 200 people. He said, you know, has happened here is not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God did it. He said, you know, we didn't do anything to bring this. God, it's just total God's grace. He said, and here's the cool thing. We didn't have to strive to gain it. So guess what? We don't have to strive to maintain it. I can, I can just still keep being Chuck. And he was. You see him, hey, Chuck. Hey, what's up, man? You know, it was just a simple Chuck. You know, and that, and that's what happens when we get the ball to Jesus. We just give him all the credit. It man, it, take, it takes the pressure off, guys. It makes things so easy. They go from strength to strength, says in verse 7. Each one of them appears before the Lord in Zion. As we walk with the Lord with our hearts set on pilgrimage and we trust Him and serve Him, as we get into His Word and worship Him, an amazing, an amazing thing starts to happen. We start to become like Him. This is the truth. We become what we focus on in worship. If we focus on money, we become a greedy person. We become, if we focus on food, we become a glutton. If we focus on any, you know, you focus on Jesus, this is incredible. We become like Jesus. We do. And that's incredible. And, and, and who does the work? Well, it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, We all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit As we focus on that image in the mirror, which is Jesus in us, as we just focus on him, we become like him. And as we pass through one valley of Baca after another and watch the Lord deliver us over and over, our faith grows stronger and stronger. And our focus changes from despair to anticipation. Hey, Lord, how are you going to get us out of it this time? Because he will get us out of it. Every time we don't have to worry about it, and our treasure piles up and we ain't even doing anything, just hanging out with Jesus. We just long to be with him. and it says right here, each one appears before the Lord in Zion. How many? All of them. Jesus is we're secure in him. All we got to do is don't stop believing. That's what it says in First Corinthians, I mean not first Corinthians, Colossians one twenty three. It says, God saved us, he's got us, if we continue in the faith. Don't stop believing, guys. And we're going to make it through. Verses 8 and 9, and we're rolling now, we're almost done. Lord of hosts, hear my prayer, give air, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O O God, look on the face of your anointed. Psalm 116, verse 12-14 through tells us that the way we say thanks to God, One of the ways we do is to call upon his name, to pray. You know, and so in light of all these blessings, the psalmist here, you know, that we talked about in Psalm 84, the psalmist begins to pray to the Lord. You know, he prays. He asks the Lord to be mindful of his people. He asks the Lord to be mindful of their protection, our shield. He asks the Lord to be mindful of their leaders and their future. Uh, The word anointed there uh, is the Hebrew word Mashiach. Which we, get, which means well. First of all, it means consecrated person. Uh, Vine says it speaks of someone like a king or priest who is anointed with oil, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, who enable which you know the Holy Spirit who enables him to do a signed task. But Mashiach, obviously, you recognize. We also get the word Messiah. It refers to the future ruler of Israel. Messiah translated is translated Christ in the Greek, and hey, we know who that is. Be mindful of God, he prays. Verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Basically, the psalmist is expressing his heart that he'd rather be in heaven. He'd rather have a glimpse of God's presence occasionally when the door kicks open as the door creeper than to sit on the front row in the house of wickedness. Paul said something similar. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, and, and Paul says, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor of need. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between two. My desire is to part, to depart and be with Christ, for it is, that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this? I know that I'll remain and continue with you for your progress joy and joy in faith. The only attraction to Paul is the other-centered desire, others centered desire to help brothers and sisters in Christ grow in their faith. Other than that, let's just head out of here for heaven. Hear that? Days in this world are worthless unless they're used to minister for Jesus. Verse 11. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You know, I, there's so much in this psalm that I thought, you know, man, I can't teach all the way through it, so I'm, I'm, I'm blowing smoke here. But there's so much in this verse. I mean, he says, The Lord is the spiritual light source in our life, He is a son. I'm going to read you something that another Calvary Chapel pastor, John Corson, says. Listen to this, this is really cool. Jesus is the light of the world. He said, We are also to be lights. He is the greater light, the sun. We are the lesser light, the moon. Reflect, reflecting his light to a dark world, As I, uh, that's what we're doing. We're reflecting his light to our dark world. As I recently watched the moon dis, uh, appear smaller and smaller due to an eclipse, I was reminded that to whatever extent the world gets between the sun and the moon is the extent to which the light of the sun upon the moon is diminished. The same is true with you and me jesus is the sun we the moon to whatever degree we allow the world to come between us his light in our lives will fade proportionately if you chart your own your own life would you would you be a full moon a three-quarter moon a half moon a quarter moon or eclipsed moon it all depends on how much you allow the world to creep in between you and the sun That's pretty cool. He's our protection. He's in control. Not only is he the son, he's all these things. He opens doors for opportunity. He will in the age to come lift us and bring us into his family. He is everything to us. If we walk in obedience, this is cool. He says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Have you ever prayed for something and you didn't get it? Well, if you're walking up rightly, you can have a lot of confidence in that. Because it says the Lord won't, with, if it's good, he's going to give it to you. Well, I didn't get it, and I prayed and prayed, Steve. Well, maybe it's not good. We got to trust the Lord and his wisdom. You know? And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that pray for a lot of things, and later they go, wow, I'm glad God didn't answer that prayer. That's just okay, but it's just, you know, there's so much in here. I encourage you guys to come back and meditate on it. Thank the Lord. Finally, verse 12, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed, happy is the one who trusts in you. Who has faith in you. Who believes you. Hebrews eleven six and without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You must believe in the Lord. You must have faith in him. We must trust him. Trust he exists and trust he's good. Trust his word is true. Trust Jesus conquered death for us. Trust the heaven is your home and focus on it. Conclusion, there was a song uh, in the 80s, a Christian song that was on the radio in the 80s uh, that said some people are too heavenly minded to do any earthly good. And I understand what they're saying. But I got to tell you right now, I so often I encounter it's it's usually the opposite. Folks ain't heavenly-minded enough. And so they really aren't impacting or doing anything. They aren't, in, they aren't happy. You want to be happy? I mean, go to God tonight. Get on your knees and say, Lord, reset my focus. Help me to begin to have a heart for heaven. Help me, Father, to see myself as a pilgrim in a stranger passing through. Help me to let go of this life and grab hold of that life. and Let that be the passion of my heart and see what God will do in your life. You know what it'll do? He's going to set you free. He's going to make you blessed. You will be happy. Hey, some stuff might happen. I'm telling you, world won't like it. Devil won't like it. Who cares? We're going to heaven. I can put up with anything for a little while, right? But man, heaven's my home. And this is only a short period of time, guys. Look, I'm 60. Who you're old. True in the earth age, but compared to eternity, that's nothing. You hear what I'm saying? Isn't that, look? We'll exist forever with God. That's where it's at. You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to get you guys fired up about heaven and focused on that and quit worrying about the stuff in this world. (laughs) Ten gazillion years from now, that's really a number. I think it is. We'll still be hanging out together in the presence of God. Man, that's where it's at. Can I just encourage you guys? Keep your focus on heaven. Keep your heart Set on pilgrimage. You know what? I got something that I wanted to tell you. This is a cool. I'm just gonna add this. This might help. Okay. This guy had a friend over who was an, he was the, the friend the, the guy was a, was a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He had this friend of his who didn't know Jesus, who wasn't a born-again believer, over to his house. They were sitting in this room in his house, sitting down and and he's telling his friend about it, and he's telling him about heaven, and he's and he's saying, Man, that's you know, for Christians, he's saying what I was saying tonight. I, that's where we want to be. He said, well, what's heaven like? He said, well, we really don't know. And so his friend starts going, why are you so fired up about heaven? Well, you don't know, you hardly know anything about it. At that point, while they were sitting there, his dog had been over at the door, scratching. (laughs) Scratching at the door, boom, boom. So he walked over the door, he opened the door, the dog ran in, jumped up on it, started licking him, tail, you know what I'm saying, happy. Sat down next to him, just content now, he said, it's kind of like, my dog here, he was just outside that door. He wasn't in here. He wanted to get in here. He didn't know what was going on in here, except one thing. His master was in here, and he wanted to be where his master was. Hey, hey, y'all, that's what we want. We want to be where our master is. You dig? He says heaven's happening place. Let's believe him.